The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Risk! Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years. The first two years of Risk episodes, the ones from October 2009 to October 2011, were behind a paywall for a while. So now, every other Thursday, we're rerunning them for free. We ask that you keep the historical context in mind. Today, in 2021, there's a different consciousness. We've always asked storytellers to speak in as unfiltered a way as possible, and yet to tell their stories with as much compassion as possible. Even so, I'm sure the storytellers and the host might have worded some of what they said on these old episodes differently if they'd been recorded more recently. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. That said, there is a story by Carlos Kotkin on this episode where he's talking about being very afraid of getting herpes. We've run lots of stories on the show since that kind of go to show that herpes does not deserve the stigma that historically it has been attached to. It's really manageable. And you'll find that it's also very common and a lot easier to talk to partners and doctors about nowadays. And so without further ado, here is the 25th episode of Risk Ever to debut in the world in September of 2010. It's an episode we call Random. Stepping on stage, doing your thing, well, that's a risk. Try to catch a captive audience without a hostage. It's nearly impossible. Here's the podcast Risk. Original, original content called Clips. Can't evolve if all we do is avoid all cliffs. Running with scissors so I could have some risk. Yes, yeah, let these wrists to make fists. Risk. Crisscross wires and walk tired. It's risk. Drive 10 miles on a pot pirate. It's risk. Spacious sick until you catch this. Risk. Hi kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, that was Bessetree up top, and this is Sean Lee behind me now. 
And today's episode is called Random. That's because in the past year, you know, a lot of stories came in that didn't quite fit the right theme at the right time. So today's theme is no theme. We're going to start with a story that was recorded out there at the show Sit and Spin. This is the hilarious Carlos Kotkin with the H word. Several months ago, I joined a singles dating website that, for legal reasons, I'm not permitted to mention by name. It starts with an M and rhymes with snatch.com. Upon joining this website, I was asked to create a screen name for myself. I came up with The Chicken Whisperer. It was a bit of a challenge actually meeting someone through this site. I wrote to about five or six hundred women. I'd send messages such as, Hi, sexy SoCal Girl 26. This is The Chicken Whisperer. We seem to have a lot in common. I like to have fun and laugh all the time, too. <laughs> Tell me about that dog in your picture. The dog wearing the sunglasses and baseball cap. He looks like a real character. <laughs> Most of the women I wrote to ignored me. But at last, a kind response arrived from Beach Vixen 78. She thanked me for writing and said she would love to meet up for a drink sometime. We did later that week, and I had a lemonade. Her real name was Trinity. She was an attractive woman with dark eyes, milky skin, and long brunette hair. She asked how many women I had met through the website. I told her she was my first. She mentioned she met with pretty much every guy who wrote to her. A healthy knock at my sense of self-worth, but that was good for me. <laughs> a few nights later, I took her to dinner at a fancy hotel on the beach in Santa Monica. From where we sat, I could see the pier festively lit up. I remarked that the pier looked nice. With a coy smile, Trinity blushed and responded, Thank you. <laughs> she thought, she thought I had said, Your hair looks nice. For a moment, I considered clarifying my words. No, no, the pier. <laughs> I was talking about the pier outside, not your hair. But I kept quiet, allowing the accidental compliment to make me seem smoother than I actually am. Not that I'm not smooth. <clears throat> Three dates later in her apartment, we had what is commonly referred to as sexual intercourse. <laughs> I can't say I was falling in love with her, nor she with me, but certainly she was charismatic enough to get intimate with. And, and intimate we got. Not to be too graphic, but I did a little traveling, so to speak taking a lengthy trip downtown, if you know what I mean. Her, 
her airport had a narrow, narrow, well-maintained landing strip. Wink, wink. <laughs> Afterward, as we were laying in her bed, resting, I stared at her ceiling. Not a euphemism. I was actually staring at her ceiling. <clears throat> I stared at her ceiling and marveled at the power of the internet. That's when she snuggled closer to me and whispered, I have to tell you something. I have the H word. The H word. Two H words immediately came to mind. HIV and herpes. And so I suddenly found myself silently praying. Please, God, let it be herpes. God, if you give me herpes, I will be the happiest man on earth. I will be your servant. I will help fight childhood obesity. I'll teach the homeless how to read, whatever. I calmly turned to her and asked which H word she was referring to. She sighed heavily and stated, I'm only going to say this once, followed by a dramatic pause. Finally, she blurted out, Herpes! <laughs> then she squealed and hid under the sheets like a little kid. As she remained burrowed beneath the sheets, I stared at her ceiling and marveled at the power of the internet. <laughs> For only $39.99 a month, I could catch herpes. Trinity eventually came out from hiding and explained to me as dryly as if she was doing my taxes, I probably didn't give it to you, but if I did, you'll find out within the next two weeks. I turned to her and responded, I probably won't burn your house down. But if I do, you'll find out within the next two weeks. <laughs> Sensing I was upset, <laughs> she quietly told me if I wanted to leave, she would understand. She continued speaking, though I can't be certain of what she said because I was in my car on my way home. <laughs> The next 24 hours, I spent online researching herpes. I learned a lot of things. For one, even though, yes, I had used protection, I was not out of the woods, as one of the main ingredients in transmitting herpes is simple skin-on-skin -skin contact, no visible symptoms of herpes required, as easy as getting into any community college. <laughs> And 
And here was an added bonus I discovered through my research. It was entirely possible for her genital herpes to break out on my non-genital mouth. (laughs) What an exciting two weeks I had in store for me. (laughs) While I was on the computer, I received an email from Trinity. It occurred to her she should apologize. She hoped at the very least we could remain good friends. (laughs) She wanted to be friends because she really enjoyed my sense of humor, my easygoing personality, and my infectious smile. (laughs) Her words. I politely wrote back, thanking her for the email, and letting her know I would have a difficult time considering her a good friend. Because in my book, good friends give each other a ride to the airport. (laughs) Also, I recommended she change her screen name from Beach Vixen 78 to Herpes Girl Simplex 2. It wasn't so much that she had herpes. People get herpes. That's life. Heck, maybe even I had it, thanks to her. It was how she decided to tell me that rubbed me the wrong way, so to speak. The following two weeks, I was on herpes watch. Every little itch, twitch, shiver, tick, tinge, twinge, tingle, bristle, shudder, flutter, and pinch made me nervous. I would freeze and ask myself, what's that? (laughs) As fate would have it, most of those two weeks were spent vacationing in Washington, D.C. with my parents. Every so often, my mother would turn to me and quizzically ask, Carlos, are you all right? You look a little stressed. I'd smile back at her and say, I don't know why... After two weeks, everything looked the same way it did before. A week after that, I saw my doctor, a Trekkie named Dr. Kovac, who has a life-size cardboard cutout of Mr. Spock in his office. I told Dr. Kovac and Mr. Spock my story. At the end of it, Dr. Kovac confessed, since people are telling you things after it's too late, I should probably come clean and let you know I don't have my medical license. But I'm hoping for next year. Then he crossed his fingers and laughed uproariously. But seriously, folks, he went on. I do have a license. I was just joshing you. He gave me a blood test for every STD under the sun. The results came back. And it turns out I would not be reading this if I had caught herpes. No STDs at all. Not only do I not... Thank you. Not only do I not have herpes 2, I don't even have herpes 1, which, in all honesty, is a little disappointing. I figured I'd made out with enough women to have caught that a long time ago. 
clearly, I need to get out there more. <laughs> so, if there are any single young ladies here tonight who might be, who might be interested in meeting me, remember, I'm the chicken whisperer. This is Risk. You can find more from Carlos Cock and the Chicken Whisperer on iTunes. His album, Stand Up and Stories from a Heartthrob, is there now. After that, we heard from the band Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin. And this is Fuji and Miyagi behind me now. Well, David Barlow is coming up next, but first, a word or two about just what it is you're listening to. It may be said that today's theme is that. There is no theme. Because, um, from peace to peace. Absolutely. Nothing is related. Remember that. Really, if what you hear? 12 minutes from now reminds you of what you're listening to now. That would be a good uh, coincidence. Indeed. And now listen to this. What? This. So when I was 23 years old, I was in this... Indian movie uh, on the Andaman Islands, which is in the Bay of Bengal between uh, the mainland India and Burma and Bangladesh. And it's beautiful tropical paradise. It had been only opened to foreigners for like a year and a half uh, before I got there. So I found myself in this incredibly unusual place with a very tiny role. So I didn't have very much to do there. But one day, I decided to go on a hike, and someone had told me about a lookout on the top of this mountain with sweeping views of the sea and that there was a trail that began at the top of this lookout and went all the way down the mountain through the jungle 
to the ocean where there was a lighthouse. And they even drew on a little coffee napkin the mountain and then the dotted line going through the jungle to the lighthouse. And I was very captivated about this, very excited, because I'd never been in a jungle before. And I, I take this taxi from Port Blair, which is the capital, up to this lookout. And, and sure enough, there's this trailhead there. There's no signs or anything like that, but that's okay, you know, because I'll be able to handle myself fine. And I start out on this trail. It's as great as I thought it would be. I'm in the this deep, lush jungle. I'm all jazzed up and going down this trail. And I come up to this fork in the trail. And at this fork in the trail is this wooden cross, almost the size of, you know, what Jesus must have been on. And, and on the two arms of the cross are these old, ratty sneakers that are just hooked on either arm of the cross. And it's very foreboding um, and and confusing. Like, what is it? And to the left is a gentle grade going down. And to the right is a more steep grade. And I figure, well, you know, let's take the steep grade because that's going to get me down the mountain towards the, the sea faster. And so I turn to the right and I start following that trail. And the trail starts to get like a little tougher to follow, but you know, that's no real cause for concern. And another half kilometer or so into it, the trail is beginning to peter out. And I start to get a little little concerned. The trail just becomes harder and harder and harder to follow. But I figure, you know what, I've come this far, and I'm this kind of person that, like, I have to complete my mission, especially when I was 23, you know, like, there was no way that I would abandon that mission. Even though I'm certain eventually I'll make it to this lighthouse, I suddenly think, you know what, maybe I might get lost. And so I have this brilliant idea, and I take out this plastic bag that's been holding two hard-boiled eggs, and I take the plastic bag, and I rip off little pieces of the plastic, and I stick the pieces of plastic on branches as I go along. And so it's kind of like Hansel and Gretel. So I do this until I get to this point in the trail where there is no trail. And I'm faced with, like, an impenetrable thicket of jungle. But still, I'm like, on the other side of this thicket is going to be the sea. And I just can't hear it yet. But, uh, you know, I just got to get there. And at one point, I'm on my belly uh, like a, a soldier, kind of inching my my elbows underneath these thorns and vines. And, and one scratches across my face. And then I put my hand to my face and there's some blood on my hand. And this is getting kind of dicey until I stop and I realize that I can't hear the ocean. All I can hear are the birds, and I'm in the middle of the fucking jungle. Some of the sounds of birds don't sound like they're even birds. It could be some other animal, and I don't know what animal that would be. I'm not familiar with the jungle at all. So I decide painfully, right, to abort the mission. I get back down on my hands and my knees and I go through that really like awful part and stand up and oh yeah, there's a piece of plastic. Well done. Good thinking. Pat myself on the shoulder. Just like Hansel and Gretel, I'm following the little trail of plastic niblets and then the grade of the slope begins to ascend again and I'm back on the, the mountain face and 
I get to the last piece of plastic and I, I pick it up. I go a few meters. I realize, whoa, that must have been the last one. And I look around and I'm fucking lost. And I see there's no trail. Because I'd started putting the plastic long after the trail had already disappeared. And suddenly I am in the middle of the jungle and and, and am completely overwhelmed by a deep-seated fear that, oh my God, what have I done? I'm going to die out here. I go off in one direction. Oops, no trail. I come back. Okay, okay, no worries, no worries. I go off in another direction. No trail. I come back to where I think I just was, and I have uh, a little nervous breakdown. Uh, and, and tears are welling in my eyes, and my breath is short, and I'm completely choked up, and I'm petrified because I realize that it's late in the day, Uh, The light is growing dimmer, and already I'm under this thick canopy of trees, and I can't really see the sky very well, Uh, and it's dark in there, and uh, I don't know what kind of animals might come out at night. I'm listening very intently, and I hear some, some... like before, some chattering noises that I can't really identify. And of course, my imagination is just creating these like venomous serpents and and jungle cats that are going to come out and and tear me limb from limb. I start to to cry. Uh, I'm in a total panic. And then I just, I, I, I start screaming at myself, David, David, come on, get it together. Because I know that if I don't keep a level head and don't keep my focus, something horrible will happen to me. And all of a sudden, through the parting of some trees, I see what I think could be, maybe, might be a trail. And my heart skips a beat, but then I tell myself not to get too, you know, excited, you know, keep it focused, until I just run to it. I mean, it has to be the trail, right? And I, I follow along, it, it st- the trail stops, but then it starts again, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I remember when I was coming down, you know, it kind of started and stopped like that. And I look around for any kind of familiar signposts, it all kind of looks vaguely familiar, and I think, wow, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm there, and I start going up, and up, and up the trail, and up the, up the mountain, and the trail starts to get wider, and it starts to become like a real trail, which you would actually call a trail, and I start leaping for joy in my soul and my heart because I actually have found it. I keep on going further and I come to those wooden steps. And when I hit the wooden steps, I fall to my knees. I go, oh my God, thank you, God. Thank you so much. I'll never do anything like this again. I'll never be so stupid, stupid. I'll never be so stupid, you know. And I go bounding up those little wooden steps up to the top of the mountain and and where that, that ominous cross is. And for a moment, I think, you know, it's probably to the right. I should go down that way. And I even start to do it. But it's 5 p.m. The sun's going down. And I, yet again, abort that mission. And as I emerge, like completely bedraggled with my shirt is torn, there's blood on my face. And I come, you know, like this savage creature out of the out of the jungle there's this very nice well-dressed indian family that is standing at the overlook looking at the sunset coming down 
and they're just having like a nice peaceful family moment and here comes this scary goya you know out of the jungle and the man turns to me and he he looks at me and he says you look horrible i get into my room uh, which is this nice hotel room that they have for the actors and looking up at the fan spinning on the ceiling i just think wow I made it out of there alive. And I think about, you know, looking back now, about how I have this tendency to be so obsessed with achieving a goal and not accepting defeat at any cost that I can put myself in the way of, of really losing it all. And that, you know, some hike in the jungle or anything that's the metaphor for like the hike in the jungle in my city life in New York is not worth losing at all. say E, mm-hmm. I say E, and then you go, <laughs> and then you kind of gasp. <laughs> you put the three together, E, <laughs> like that, and then you do I. <laughs> See it? E, I'll do it real slow. E, I, E, E, This insanity is brought to you by the Evolution Control Committee. And we heard a track by Dave Gertzman before that. And before that, a story we call Into the Woods by writer and actor David Barlow. And before that, we heard a track called Coincidence about the randomness of this very episode. It was custom made for us by our good friend John Nelson. He's an expert on sound collage, and John hosts a podcast I'm a big fan of called Some Assembly Required. Check it out. Up next, the charming Melanie Maris. Melanie was raised in Indonesia, but as you'll see, she is now a New Yorker through and through. We call Melanie's story Dial C for Creepy.
So a couple of years ago, I had a cell phone that I was very fond of, and it was pink and shiny and just right. Um, on a Friday, it was early evening, I was walking home, and when I got home, I realized that I had lost my cell phone. So I called it, and this guy answered, and I said, hi, I'm Melanie, you have my cell phone, where are you so I can come pick it up from you? And he's very hesitant to commit to meeting up with me or a location, and I'm like, no, 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 really, you know, wherever you are, it's fine, I'll, I'll just come, I'll pass by, I'll pick up my phone and be on my way. And he's like, no, no, I, I want to remain anonymous. So I start thinking, are you famous? And if you are, you might want to get a look at me before you decide whether or not you want to remain anonymous. I'm just saying. But he doesn't want to meet up with me. So I'm like, uh, that's fine. You know, could maybe you could just leave it at your building. Maybe you have a doorman or someone there you could leave it with. And he says, no, no, I don't want you to know where I live because I want to remain anonymous. So I said, okay, is there perhaps a uh, location where you might be able to anonymously leave my phone and then I could go pick it up, uh, say a Starbucks, a deli, a gas station, anything? And he says, no, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really busy. I can't go drop it off somewhere. I, I'm starting to feel that I'm, I'm losing him and that he's kind of a strange guy and I just really want my phone back. So I said, Okay, would you have some time tomorrow to uh, leave my phone anywhere in Manhattan or its surrounding boroughs, and I could then go pick it up? And he says, yes, I can give you the phone tomorrow. So I say, great, what neighborhood might be convenient for you? And he doesn't seem to know, so I suggest Union Square, and he says, yes. And I clearly was just not thinking at this point, because I said, well, I live really close to Union Square. Why don't you just drop it off at my place? And he agrees. So it's decided that uh, he will drop it off around 11 or 12 the next day, and he'll leave it with my doorman so that he can remain sufficiently anonymous, and he seems okay with that. And it's decided, and we hang up. And I started to have a sinking feeling in my stomach, a feeling that all was not right. So it's the next day, and I'm at home, and I'm waiting for this guy to come by and drop off my phone, and the designated time period comes and goes, and hours pass, and finally I say, it's a sign. I'm meant to have an iPhone. So I walk myself to AT&T, I buy an iPhone, I sign a contract, and I come home. And when I come home, my doormen are waiting for me, and they're like, Melanie, this guy came by to drop off your phone, and he was insane. He was this skinny white guy with little glasses and a long braid and a backpack. He looked like he was in a cult or something. And then they hand me this envelope that he's left for me, this um, 8 by 10 manila envelope. And on it is a post-it note that says, sorry it wasn't here sooner. Peace be to you. So I said, okay. I take the envelope, uh, and I go up to my apartment, and I close the door, and I open the envelope, and inside is promises my phone, and so is a homemade book. Um, actually, it's more of a booklet, and it's called Earth's Tears, and it has watercolor all over it, but what's most disturbing about it is on the cover, there is a child's handprint in red paint, and it's disturbing because it means the person who made this book for me has a child, or more likely, has a kid's hand in the freezer that he's finger-painting with. Um, and then I open the book, 
And inside is a three-page letter this man has written to me that says, Greetings, Melanie, at the top. And he's written the header in calligraphy. And he's written the rest of the letter in tiny purple lettering. And he's gone back with a blue pen and he's made revisions. He's crossed certain things out. He's underlined things. He's rephrased things. So at this point... I just, I have to stop because I can't read this letter on my own. So my best girlfriend, Jamie, comes over and I tell her, listen, this psycho knows my name, my address, my home phone number, my cell phone number, and God knows what else. So I need to know when he's going to murder me and where. I need you to look at the letter and look for those kinds of details. So she sits in the bedroom and she reads choice passages aloud to me whilst I sit in the bathroom and scream. The letter starts off like this. Greetings, Melanie. I thought before I return the phone, which is probably all you want from me, maybe I could write something inspiring, something that would be appreciated. I want to say, this is very unusual for me. It's not typical that I approach women to start a one-on-one dialogue about my thoughts, feelings, or beliefs. However, this is different. It's more like a monologue, since you're not here to answer any of my questions. I wonder what kind of person you are. What have you experienced? What's your background? How are you raised? What interests you? What are the important things in your life? What are you seeking? What's the plan? Did you get married? And then he goes on to tell me about himself and how he's devoted his life to living the life of a disciple of Christ. Then he goes on to tell me how he's read through all my text messages. And I'm finally beginning to understand why he couldn't meet up with me last night. It's because he was busy reading through the 900 text messages in my phone and getting busy in his crafting corner with his calligraphy set and his watercolor set and his frozen kids' hands to write this to me. Part of the letter that really jumped out at me is this. He says, Noticing different men calling you and seeing the list of people on your contacts, I felt, what can I say? I didn't feel good about it. Honestly, I didn't have peace searching through your messages. I felt like I'd be prying into someone else's mail, but some I did notice. I realize you're going to do what you want regardless if you take any advice from me. Nonetheless, I still want to encourage you, Melanie. Don't be foolish or simple. I felt so violated, but I had no one to direct my anger at because this man who so cherished his privacy but had absolutely no regard for mine had completely removed himself from the situation. So I never got to ask him my burning questions like, who are you to judge me? And what would we find on your phone? And what part of devoting yourself to living the life of a disciple of Christ does this fall under? For a while, I felt like he was always there with me, silently watching me and judging me while I showered or went through my day. And if he knew that, he would probably take great pride in the fact, knowing that he had really done his job and left a mark on my life. Finally, that feeling faded away, and I was lucky to never hear from him again. I could never bring myself to use the little pink phone again, though. I Cloroxed it, and I threw it in the back of a drawer I never opened, and I closed the drawer.
yeah, I'm burning it up. DPGC, you should be turning Turn it, it up. up. CBT, LBC, yeah, we hooking back up. Uh -huh. And when they bang this in the club, baby, you got to get, get up. up. Cuz homies, thug homies, yeah, they giving it up. Low life, yo life, boy, we living it up. Taking chances while we dancing in the party for show. Slip my girl a 44 when she crept in the back door. Chickens looking at me strange, but you know I don't care. Step up in this motherfucker. Just a swank in my head. Trick, quit talking, crip, won't get you down with the set. Take a bullet with some grip and take your smoke on the jet. Out of town, put it down for the father of rap. And if you happen to get cracked, trick, shut your trap. Come back, get back, that's the part of success. If you believe in the S, you be relieving your stress. The one and only D-O-double-G, that's Mark Vidler of Go Home Productions, Mashing, Messers, Dre, and Snoop, and Crowded House. Now, we have a good friend in New York, Seth Lind, who runs a truly stellar storytelling show called Told, and Seth let us use this story recorded at his show a while back. If you know Risk, you already know the lady telling the story. It's the one and only Opihira E. By which I mean Ophira Eisenberg. We call this heart work. Ten years ago, I flew home to Canada to take care of my mother who had just gotten a pacemaker. And before you feel bad for her, she totally had it coming. Um, she, she's one of the toughest women on the planet. She survived World War II. And she was a child during World War II in uh, Nijmegen, and she tells a story about when the Americans bombed her school that was run by nuns, and then she biked by it the next day, and the meanest nun was hanging dead in the tree, and she laughs, oh, she was so mean, ha ha! <laughs> that is my mother. And she is, she is like strong. She is the opposite of a hypochondriac. She's like an everything finiac or whatever those people are where, you know, she will walk it off. Like she was the kind of person that would walk off a head wound or <laughs> in this case, her heart had been periodically stopping for about two years. <laughs> and she would just like lie down for 10 minutes and she was like, I'm fine and you know, continue. But finally it happened in front of someone. And that's how she had to reveal that, you know, basically her heart had been stopping while driving and all kinds of things. I mean, really, but she is, an admirable quality about her is that she attributes um, sickness with weakness with death. And this was 70 year old, she was 70 years old when this happened. I remember hanging out with her back home in Calgary before and we were in a warehouse space of my brother's. Anyways, a little mouse ran by and my mother killed it with her. And then she said, it must be sick, it was slow. <laughs> The other side 
side of this personality is someone who makes everyone around her feel entirely incapable because she is so capable. She can do anything and everything better than everyone. I mean, she was she was a homemaker, um, but that we didn't use that term. It was just like a mother back then. You know, she would make Martha Stewart now feel totally inadequate, you know, because she would be like, and you're wasting money like my mother. These people. And, you know, I, I was, I'm the youngest of six, so when she got this pacemaker, I, I talked to my brother Amir on the phone, and my older brother, and he said, uh, listen, you know, it went well, and she's got to be in bed rest for six weeks, and the doctor said that, you know, she needs help, and she's not supposed to have any stress. And I was living, I'm the only one that moved to across the country, and I said, well, I want to come home and help. And he was like, you can't help. <laughs> Because you can't help. Look at your life. Which, true, my resume at 26 was not impressive. <laughs> I was a struggling stand-up comic. <laughs> I um, was had no relationships going on. I really had no money. I did work part-time at a hat store. <laughs> but I really... And as soon as he said, like, you know, you can't do that, you're irresponsible, I really felt... Whatever, I was 26 years old, I felt like an adult. I was paying some rent and, and living my own life, and I was like scared. I really wanted to go back and take care of my mother and show her, and maybe everyone in my family, that I was an adult and I was capable, that I could be there at, for once. So, uh, you know, I, I called my mother, said, I want to come home and take care of you for one of these six weeks. And she was like, I don't think so. Like, everyone was against me. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to come. I'm going to do it. And she was like, all right. I got on the plane, flew home, and I just kept thinking of all the things I was going to do. I was going to make her big meals. And, uh, you know, because everything, she always cooks from scratch. You know, if you, if you open a can, she thinks it's like a sign of, like, you slowly becoming homeless. You know, like, she, <laughs> scratch, everything has to be clean. The woman, like I once caught her on the floor scrubbing a black mark and it was a shadow. Like, I'm serious. It was a fucking shadow. So I'm just thinking, I'll clean everything, like I, I, I can do this. And I, I get home uh, and I go to hug her and she goes, not so hard because she's in pain. She's down a notch. I mean, she is down a great deal after this operation like anyone would be. And she's sleeping a lot. And I, I'm trying to do things, straighten up, and make her meals. But you know, the criticisms of what I'm doing never end. So I'm, you know, I'm boiling a pot of water, and she's like, "Oh, and that pot!" Like that's the level. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, "How cold was the water?" I'm like, "Cold." She's like, "Not cold enough." You know, it's. And I'm trying because I really, I do want to prove to her, and I think I'm doing an okay job. But by the third day, I'm frazzled. Like, being responsible is exhausting, <laughs> and I want a break. Uh, so I do this thing when I travel. I always pack, like, gym clothes and, uh, like, green tea and, like, poetry, thinking I'll become this person. So I go away. I'm always meant to be here. Like, I'm never this. Like, I'm going to remake my whole life in that three days away. And so I go, oh, I'll go to the gym. I'll go to the gym. That is like a reasonable request for, for some time off. And I say, Mom, I'm going to go to the gym. Can I borrow your car? Because it's Calgary to drive. And it's her new car. It's a brand new car. Her boyfriend had bought it for her, uh, but she bought it off of him because there's no such thing as a free ride. Um, she really takes those things literal. So, And I knew how important this car was to her. And I said, can I borrow your car to go down the street for the gym? And she was like, OK. I was like, you're OK. She's like, I'm OK. I'm just going to lie down. 
I got in the car to, you know, I, uh, I started up and realized the garage door is still closed. I'm like, that's an idiot move. <laughs> Open it up. Because I haven't been driving in a while, so I'm just doing stupid things. And I put the car in reverse. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm doing a good job. I'm really, like, I'm showing that I'm an adult here. I haven't done anything so super stupid. And I'm reversing, kind of thinking, and I'm going to the gym. It's very healthy. And as I'm reversing, kind of reveling in my own, like, narcissistic appeal, I hear this crunching sound. Kind of sounds like uh, metal and metal, <laughs> which is exactly what it was. What I had done is, as I was reversing in my little daydream of how amazing I am, I hadn't seen how close I was to the edge of the garage, and I had cracked off the driver's side mirror. Cracked it off. And I saw that I, you know, first I was like, what did I do? And then I was like, oh my god! Cracked it off. And so what I, I actually went forward thinking that will reverse time. <laughs> That's how time works. I can just... Um, but it did not. And I was like, what did I... Okay, let me look at... And I got out to look at the damage because I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I could pop it back like Lego and use some Gorilla Glue and some silver nail polish and we'll fix it all up. But it's like, it's really broken off and there's wires hanging. And I'm freaking out because I have never really actually, I'm irresponsible and my family thinks I'm a child, but I've never done anything wrong. Because I'm the youngest. Never, never have I done anything wrong. Ever. And I can't do something wrong now. This is the most important time. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, what do I do? I gotta explain this somewhere. So I go to the gym. I drive the car with the thing off to the gym and got on the treadmill because I figure I'm going to figure it out on the treadmill. And I'm running the treadmill for the first time with purpose, thinking, okay, I'm going to work this out. And I come up with an idea. By the way, telling the truth never occurs to me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell her that on my way to the gym, uh, well, actually, I parked the car at the gym, and then someone hit and run the car, I guess, while I was parked, and they took the rearview mirror off, but I found the guy, and gave, he gave me 100 bucks, and I'll take 100 bucks out of my ATM, and I'll give that to him. And that will make it seem, like, kind of weirdly okay. And as I'm running the treadmill thinking, this is a fucking great idea, something is a little off and a little familiar, and I remember that I know why, it's because I've used this before <laughs> when I was 16 and couldn't really parallel park and hit the back of her car on someone else's car and then drove into the home and gave her this whole story. <coughs> so I'm like, wow, I've really run out of lies. <laughs> and I can't glue it. And I can't reverse time. I'm like, wow, we have to tell her what happened. Let's hope that pacemaker kicks in. So... <laughs> I drive home, parked in front of the house. I walk in and I prepare a speech like you do, because I'm not supposed to put her through stress. About, I'm gonna say, something very small happened, it's not a big deal, but when I get in and I see her and she goes, why is the car parked in front of the house? I go, I did a really bad thing! <laughs> and then I start crying, I'm like, bad thing, bad thing! And she's like, what is it, what is it? I'm like, I was reversing, I couldn't see it, I have to She's like, well, where are you? I was like, I was on the treadmill working it out. <laughs> and I can see the disappointment in her. And I can see her look at me like I am just still a child. But what she doesn't know is I have done the most adult thing I have ever done in our relationship. And it becomes a little demoralizing. She goes, okay, let's fix this. We'll fix it together. Um, 
I look through the yellow pages back before the internet, and I find a dealership, and I call them up in the neighbor or in the vicinity, and they uh, can tell. They say we can fix it within a day. It's going to cost six hundred dollars. I tell that to my mother. She goes, "I know you don't have the money, so let's split it." Okay, thank you. We drive the car to the dealership. Think it was a loaner for the day. We're driving off. I go, "Can I?" Can I take you for a, a tea in the meantime while we're waiting for the car, Mom? She goes, oh, yeah, I would like a tea. You can't have anything with caffeine, though, because of my heart. I'm like, yeah, oh, I fucking remember <laughs> the heart. And she says to me, um, let's do one thing. Let's not tell your brother Amir that this happened, because he'll never, ever let you live it down. <laughs> I'm like, great idea. Because even at the moment, where she is with the pacemaker and I am there to take care of her. Somehow, she still took care of me. <laughs> Thank you. Keeping with the random theme there, that is the Tudor Consort. Jason Nash has a new record on iTunes called In the Land of Tall Buildings and Red Fire Engines. This is called Cookie Monster. I don't, uh, I don't really work that much, and my wife works, so I watch my kid a lot. I wanted to have kids, but I just wasn't really ready to have them, or like I just thought that... Oh, well, she'll take care of them. And then the baby came and like, she's like, I have to go to work. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you have to definitely pay for stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, I really, I really should have seen that coming, you know. A movie is a great, great way to kill an afternoon. And we're going there, and he's like, we're going to see Up, Daddy, we're going to see Up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. He's like, you get the 3D glasses? I'm like, yeah, we're going to get 3D glasses. And, you know, because I, I do have fun with them, even though sometimes I'm reluctant. I, I, can, I can be fun, you know. I'm a, I'm a comedian, damn it, right? So we get there, and my credit card is declined. And I'm like, oh, God, oh, God. And it's just not like when you're with your buddies, and you're like, Hey, man, can you uh, get my ticket because I'm getting paid on Friday? Like, you're not going to the movies. You're just, you're not going. 
And even worse is you have to like tell a three-year-old that you're not going. Number one, it's heartbreaking. And number two, he just doesn't understand that his father is a loser. You know, like that's the other part. So I, I don't even tell him at first. I just kind of like, we walk around the mall a little bit. And he's like, we're going to see Up Daddy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to see it. And I'm like, we are so not, not seeing Up. There's a mall here in California, Century City Mall. And next to it are these really tall buildings. And it's one of the only areas of L.A. that are like New York. And it's like a place of business, you know. And I'm just like sitting there looking at these buildings like, God, what did I do? Like, why didn't I get a job? Or why didn't I? And it's almost like, oh, man, like, God, that must be great. Go to work every day. I mean, that's something I never wanted, you know, to go in like a suit and tie. I'm looking at the buildings. Just trying to buy time. And he goes, You're not working right now, Daddy? And I go, No, no, I'm not. Not working. He goes, Because you got fired, Daddy? You got fired? And I did. I had gotten fired from a, a show. And, uh, well, more more it was canceled. But he heard it as fired. And he's just like, When are you going to be on TV again, Daddy? When are you going to be on TV again? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, you know. And of course, I want to be on TV again. And then you get into a conversation with a three-year-old, which is like, well, daddy wants to be on TV and he's trying very hard. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that you find yourself explaining to him, you know, reality shows have really become popular and people don't want so much comedy anymore. Well, I mean, they want comedy, but more like the Kardashians. And so finally I break it to him. I say, look, we're not going to the movies. And he, uh, yeah, he starts to cry, you know. If your kid is upset, Moms are like, oh, sorry, but dads are like, hey, cut that shit out. It comes out as anger, even though I'm mad. So I'm like, don't cry. Oh, come on. And of course, that makes it worse. And then it's like, eh, for like a little cry, then a pause, then all of a sudden, like a big cry, like, ah! So it's really bad. And then you feel really bad that you made it worse. It's just a downward spiral of a day. And then I remember that at this mall, they have these uh, red fire engine strollers. You can put your kid in and you can go all over the mall and it's pretty great. And I know he loves anything to do with a firefighter. So I grab him, I say, come on, come on, I'll make it better. Oh, daddy will make it better, daddy will make it better, you know. So I run downstairs and I was like, I got the fire engine and uh, we get in and we're having like the best time. We're like, oh man, we take the elevator up to the main deck and Boom, we're going, we're like off. Don't even think about the movies. He is like hair blowing in the wind and I'm making the noise. And we're going by all the stores and people are looking at us like, wow, they're having so much fun. And my son says to me, uh, do Cookie Monster, daddy, do Cookie Monster. And I'll do Cookie Monster. I'll have long conversations as Cookie Monster with my son. Very long, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I said, oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And I start to point things out as Cookie Monster in the mall. And I'm like, this Brooks Brothers, uh, this, uh, this Cinnabon, you know, this where Cookie go when he uh, screw up with girlfriend to buy a nice gift. And... We're having a really good time. So I'm like, let's do something crazy. Let's go out of the mall and into where these tall buildings are. And we go out of the mall and into these tall buildings. And I said, the buildings are on fire. Let's put the fires out, Wyatt. Let's put these fires out. And I grab like an imaginary hose from my back and I'm like, 
start putting the fires out, you know? And he's like, oh, wow, he thinks that is just amazing. Oh, his he, mind is blown. And so he starts putting fires out. And I say, oh, yeah, and I'm doing cookie monster. I'm like, oh, we have to save that building. There's cookies inside. You know? And he's like, cookie monster, put the fires out. Let's put the fires out, cookie monster, you know? And another wave comes over me of depression where I see this woman walking across Century Park East, which is like the main drag there. She has on these Reeboks. And she's in like a dowdy business suit kind of thing. Like you see it a lot in big cities. Women will bring the shoes with them and like walk to the bus or maybe she has to park her car far away. So she she switches into more comfortable shoes to walk. And God, I was so impressed with that. And it set me off for some reason. I was like, man, I was like, look at that. That is commitment. She goes to work every day. She brings the shoes with her in her bag. I don't think I've ever been that committed to anything like that, you know, I mean, I've been committed to doing comedy or whatever, but I've never shown up to a job, not for a long, long time. And that wave came over me. I was like, God, I'm such a, such a fucking loser. And I just thought, oh, I, I can't stand this. I can't believe that I am in this position of having a child and not having money. And my son starts to go, uh, Cookie Monster, Cookie Monster, put the fires out, Cookie Monster. And I go, not now, I'm, I'm done. And he goes, Cookie Monster, put the fires out. And I go, all right, all right, fine. And I start putting the fires out, imaginary. He goes, no, Cookie Monster, Cookie Monster. And I said, I'm doing it. And he said, no, Cookie Monster, Cookie Monster. I said, what? I'm putting the fires out. And I started to yell at him again. And he walked right up to me. And he got right in my face. And he said, and he did something that I would, could never, would never have been brave enough to do to my father. He said... No, Cookie Monster, Cookie Monster. And at that moment, I I got it. He didn't care, you know, that I couldn't go to the movies. All, All he cared about was, you know, he wanted to hang out with Cookie Monster. That's it. And so I, I, I was totally shaken to my core by this. And I... I uh, I just said uh, I started to cry. I said, I said, okay, okay, Wyatt, and I started to do Cookie Monster. He said, Cookie Monster, I love you, and I said, I I love I love you too, She read them aloud The lives of strangers There was an echo on the line Voice from the throat Driven from 
Well, that's it for now. This is Friday Mile behind me. And remember what this person I'd never heard of till five minutes ago said about risk. and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys your choice of color starting at just $3.99 Ashley sleep mattresses starting at $2.50 plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns and Foster Tempur-Pedic purple and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at Ashley subject to credit approval no minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required see store for details